I would say across outdoor research in all departments, we've had that attitude to lean in and protect those that protect us. And that goes for everyone that works in the building. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Hello there, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. You're about to hear episode number 133 of our great show. And I'd like to thank Verde Brand Communications as the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. This episode is part of a special series of content Verde is creating to help specialty brands navigate the fast-changing business landscape presented to us in the COVID-19 crisis. Our team has built out and continues to add to a comprehensive resource offering. You can find that right at veritypr.com. This show is part of a series within a series, if you will. Back on April 14th of 2020, I led a panel for SIA and OIA focusing on manufacturers pivoting to produce personal protective equipment or PPE for frontline hospital workers and healthcare workers during the COVID-19 crisis. As an aside, Verde's created a special resource just for brands engaging in a manufacturing pivot. And you can find that at verdepr.com forward slash pivot. And it provides, I think, a pretty solid foundation to understand how to shift your communications for your brand around that pivot. I hope you enjoy that and find some use out of that. So... Verde is committed to producing three more episodes of our podcast to ensure that all of the panelists were able to offer a more deeper look at their stories. Let's face it, you can't really get into details with five people on an hour-long panel. And what these brands have to share is super important. Other brands and other organizations can better network, act on, and be nimble with more information. And that's what we've committed to bringing to you, our amazing audience, during this time. On today's episode, I am very honored to introduce Jason Duncan, who leads Tactical Innovation and Corporate Social Responsibility at Outdoor Research. Verde has been working with Outdoor Research for a decade, which is awesome. So over half of our lifespan as an agency, this, this company has been a great partner to us. So I wanted to give you just a little bit of background on Outdoor Research before we drop into Jason's interview today, which focuses on Outdoor Research's shift to PPE manufacturing. Outdoor Research was founded in Seattle, Washington in 1981. And interestingly, I actually took one of my first media trips that I did in the outdoor industry, I was a journalist prior to opening Verde, was up to Seattle to visit Outdoor Research 
Cascades Design International, Yuko, and Montreal. So this is probably around 1980, sorry, <laughs> 1997. So shout out to Kristen Hostetter, Michael Hodgson, like lots of people who are still journalists and still in our industry today. We're also on that trip. It was a formative experience, let's just say. And Ron Gregg, the founder of Outdoor Research, was actually the person who gave us the tour of Outdoor Research. And they're still in this very same building in uh, downtown Seattle. The headquarters there is still in place. It's a very, very cool building and experience and team. So Outdoor Research Interestingly, over the past three plus years, has completed a comprehensive review of the U.S. supply chain and initiated active development with textile mills and materials providers to expand and elevate the company's U.S. manufacturing capabilities and also product collections. It turns out the timing on this was quite fortuitous. This time and this investment and this focus catalyzed OR's product development cycle, allowing the latest innovations that they come out with from these factories to be fielded to the end user even more quickly than they had been before. And this enabled the outdoor research team to deploy its design and engineering experience to create products that protect and mobilize soldiers, sailors, airmen and airwomen, marines, first responders, outdoor enthusiasts, and now the medical community. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So Outdoor Research has a 39-year legacy with U.S. manufacturing. It is truly one of the gems nationally in that regard. And it's my hope that bringing their story to light today not only gives you more of a glimpse into the history of this incredible brand, but also shows the resilience of the team and the attitude of the team to work together to make a monumental pivot happen in their Seattle-based and Los Angeles-based U.S. manufacturing facilities. So with that, let's go ahead and get the Jason Duncan interview going here. He is with Outdoor Research, and I am super, super honored to share his story and the story of Outdoor Research's pivot with you today here on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am super excited to introduce Jason Duncan to you today, who is the head of Tactical Innovation and CSR for Outdoor Research, a revered Verde Brand Communications client. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's great to have you here with us today. Thanks, Kristen. It's great to be here. And I understand that you have been leading the charge on about a month and a half of just a lot of activity of updating, up-leveling, basically taking the manufacturing arm of outdoor research, which has a 39-year heritage of U.S. manufacturing, and turning that into a way for the brand to, quote, do its part and produce PPE. And that's what we're here to discuss today. Before we get into that process, which I think is fascinating, let's talk a little bit about your background and what led you to outdoor research. Yeah, I've been with Outdoor Research for over nine years and have 16 years of experience in the outdoor industry. I worked as a chemist for over eight years prior to joining the industry and uh, received my MBA from UW Foster School of Business. I have the honor, and it is a true honor, of leading the tactical and innovation teams for Outdoor Research, as well as the corporate sustainability and responsibility initiatives we have as a brand. And this pivot medical PPE capitalizes on our inherent ability to design, engineer, and manufacture the highest efficacy medical solutions that reinforce our research foundations and history. It's in our name. So 
We've always built solutions to better protect the people that protect us, and it permeates our business. So this is just an extension of that commitment. Well, and, the, and I realize, as you say, just an extension of that commitment, it doesn't really give light to the incredible team effort that's happened within outdoor research over the past month and a half. So let before we get into kind of the day-to-day, let's talk a little bit about the lead-up into that. You've led, I think, a two-plus-year uh, investment of time and resources to up-level the manufacturing facilities right there in the Seattle, Washington headquarters, as well as in your Los Angeles, I guess it's a sister factory of sorts. Would you mind walking us through a little bit of that before we get into the FDA-compliant level effort for PPE that Outdoor Research is making today? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we've always had manufacturing at the heart of our business since uh, we were founded. We've always had manufacturing in Seattle. It's changed over the years on what we make in in the factory based on the needs of the customers and and the needs of the industry and obviously the economic realities that we face for manufacturing in America. But we've never never let go of that. Sometimes it's ebbed and waned, but we've always had it and, and, and we really value it. So about three years ago, we decided, probably close to four years ago, we wanted to make sure we we expanded our abilities and our capabilities. So in addition to what we we're doing already, we just wanted to make sure we could update and semi-automate some of our procedures and skill sets and the folks that we were uh, employing to make sure that we were using the best practices of engineering and, and semi-automated manufacturing to augment the incredible skill skilled sewing capacity we had in Seattle. Um, this involved traveling around the U.S. and looking at the the best manufacturing sites that we could find and also engaging more uh, heavily with our raw material supply chain, Um, whether that's in North Carolina um, or other places in the U.S. We we really uh, dove in headfirst with that team um, and realized the bones of manufacturing in the U.S., uh, especially for raw materials, are still there. And we discovered and uncovered mills that we didn't know existed. And we've forged partnerships with these folks. And I have to say, we've really relied on our textile partners in the United States um, in the last five to six weeks. But we, we've always relied on them for the past three or four years as we started to include new people into the organization, both from within and without. It's almost like you look back and it's like, you know, we meant to do that. And I realize you did, but as it teed you up for what you're taking on now and what you're leading the team to do today, it's pretty remarkable, the timing on that in terms of connecting everything from a sourcing and supply side of it and also the berry compliance side of it as a U.S.-based manufacturer. So one of the things I wanted to jump into right away is the level of um, compliancy that you're creating at Outdoor Research in terms of surgical masks, N95, respirator masks, and fabric face masks. So can you get into detail around what the team has done in terms of you know up-leveling the facilities and really steering the ship in, in that direction? Because ultimately, I think the first two of those three, the surgical masks and the N95 respirator masks, really comprise a different um, set of rules, so to speak. And I realize that there's a little bit of an urgency to that, and there are rules that fit under you know, taking a faster approach to that, but it's still a really, really big effort to do. And I was hoping you could enlighten the audience on kind of the, the level of difference, if you will, that FDA compliancy calls for with PPE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a big pivot. You know, there's 
you can pivot to this space, but the execution is is really tough. Um, so we're going to make, as you said, surgical masks. We'll be making manufacturing ASTM level three masks in Seattle in May, um, and we'll be making N95 respirators, two types, um, by June in Seattle. Uh, and we're making fabric face masks. Uh, we're beginning to manufacture those consumer face masks, which provide submicron particulate protection um, in both Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, so we've already started manufacturing on those. Um, but yes, the, uh, <clears throat> the the FDA compliance is is definitely a, a large hurdle. We we started a factory in three days in a specialized medical industry we knew little about, um, and in the past. 45 days, we've simply jumped in and committed. And our factory is becoming an FDA manufacturing space space with machines we've never used before. So there's a lot of new learning in the last five weeks. There's a large, large amount of data to process, and we employ eight engineers and scientists working with specialists in the FDA compliance. And it's 24-7 work for a lot of people who have never worked in the space previously. But they have agile minds with a fantastically low ego approach, something that defines our company. And everyone has a role to play. And it probably wasn't the role you did yesterday. You know, people are reticent right now to source from Asia for speed and quality. There's a lot of unknowns in the U.S. from a compliance to efficacy to distribution. And these change daily. China has put restrictions on raw materials and device exports, as has our own U.S. administration. So all of those reasons point back to a domestic solution. But we've had some some great people. Like I said, the who in our journey is people that can execute quickly, have agile minds, pivot mentality, and, and manufacturing experience. There's a lot of dynamic teamwork going on. Like I said, your job yesterday might have been mechanical engineer, but your job today is FDA test coordinator. And you may have three degrees, but today you're in charge of ear loops. You're the ear loop person. And uh-huh. of course we need to add, <laughs> you know, that, that is, that, that requires a low ego personality um, to do that pivot. And, uh, you know, obviously partnership with our domestic raw material supply chain for, for obvious reasons of speed and testing, but we were well poised to do this because of our strong ties in North Carolina and elsewhere with our U S based textile partners, um, both old and new. And I guess lastly, the machinery. You know, this was a huge investment in machinery. The response, though, was how can we help now? Uh, we didn't run this through a typical profitability filter. There's no MBA case study for this. Uh, buying expensive machines that could execute quickly required a certain amount of trust and determination from the organization. And so we just jumped in, like I said, and bought five machines, various test equipment. You know, we hired some new staff to augment and support the operations. And our third floor facility, you know, in Seattle, we had to do a significant retrofit to service an FDA-cleared manufacturing environment. So those hurdles were huge. We were very excited when we started. There's fear and trepidation, but there was a lot of excitement. And as we got into it, it was a grind, for sure. It was a 24-7 grind. And that continues, I'm sure. And that human resiliency story, I think, is a very special part of this. And that's one of the things I think that's so important to share with our listeners today who might be considering their own pivot. Ultimately, you're, you know, working with a team that has a lot of longstanding, you know, longtime team members on it. And then you're adding new people, obviously, around a fast-moving evolution process. So that it, the human resiliency and the leadership there is important, but you mentioned a few times that in the 
in what you just had said there about a grind, right? Here we are in week six, and I imagine that as you're, you know, you stood this up, there was probably like a call to duty and a call to serve, but then there's probably just a little bit of like an obstacle or like a, just a continual grind as you continue to show up here. And you captured it best by saying execution is what's tough. How are you continuing to lead everybody in a way where they're showing up excited to contribute and, you know, keep their eye on the ball, even though it's starting to feel a little bit heavy at times, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our workforce is remarkably diverse and regarding their skills and their backgrounds. Um, many of, a, of our employees have been with us in the factory for 20 to 30 years. And, you know, there's some newer employees, you know, at nine years, I'm, I, I'm considered a newer employee on the factory floor. So, um, <laughs> but, but that is, you know, our, our, our workers in the downtown Seattle factory are the lifeblood of outdoor research. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as our newer factory in LA, we've always tried to protect and honor their skill sets. And that's one of the things we hope comes out of this is that people really adjust their lens in the U S to do, to what actually defines an essential workers. You know, we have that first line of defense in the hospitals and the EMTs and, and our police. And then right behind them is, you know, the, another level of support, which are the grocery store workers, the drugstore workers, and the, frankly, the sewing skill that we have in our factories. Many of our factory employees are first-generation Americans that possess a skill set that, frankly, I don't possess. I can't sew. Right. Um, and the, the skill set they possess is valuable and immutable. And so for this very reason, we, we chose early on to close both our factories for two weeks so we could get our heads and our arms around this crisis. Uh, we just were not educated enough to ensure we could have people working in a manufactured environment safely. And, you know, of course, you can work if you can telecommute. Um, there are many in our industry that can, but not for manufacturing. So we had right. to build a rigid SOP and, and pressure test it. Yeah, and, and over two weeks of being closed, we we pressure tested it uh, with the leadership. And each day, our intake of employees involves social distancing, temperature checks every day, uh, health questionnaire every day in multiple languages, mandatory mask wearing, hourly hand sanitizing, and shorter shifts. You know, we, we even went so far as to remove the doors of our washrooms and install privacy screens, so just to reduce the contact points. And of course, you know, we're an essential business due to our DOD protection, uh, mm-hmm. Department of Defense. Uh, but it was the true willingness of our employees to engage in that work, as well as, you know, the medical initiative. And it was very inspiring because there is no zero risk situation. Um, they're coming to work every day. There is a sense of community that was present from the outset, but it requires great leadership. We have an expression at Outdoor Research in this Factories run on emotion, not electricity, but ensuring we protect our staff first and foremost is a heavy burden on leadership, and it continues today. Well, and I have to say, your factory is right there inside of your Seattle headquarters, but in our rehearsal calls, we've talked a couple times about how, you know, there's the different floors of the company and the focuses of the leaders on those floors may not always be conjoined, but I I believe right now, the entire company is aware of the pivot, obviously, and is in support of that. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, maybe even with your marketing team, for example, like 
integrating them into this process to better tell the story. I'd love to share that with the audience because ultimately, yes, it's built right into outdoor research in terms of their Seattle headquarters. But like every company, like we're always battling the silos as we're kind of getting through our our to-do lists every day, every month, every quarter. So if you could maybe describe that a little bit, the discovery that's been happening with the entire workforce, I think that would be enlightening. Yeah, for sure. Well, outdoor research, we're all one company and part of that three or four year you know, investigation into manufacturing and, and what parts of our business can all integrate well together was just that. You know, Michelle Wardian is her president and she's always telling us we're one company, whether you work in this department or that department, we're all outdoor research. And that's gone really well. I mean, for our product team, to our finance team, to our IT team, to all the support and service from HR to yeah, your marketing team. We had the marketing team come in to document some of the process, some of our intake process, and some of our build-out on the third floor for the FDA-cleared manufacturing floor. Part of that is, you know, they were extremely respectful. They did the intake themselves. Part of it was documenting it for us just to make sure, are we doing it right? Can we go back and look at this, and are we actually doing everything we said we were going to do? Um, Part of it was to capture, you know, in real time how we did this pivot in, you know, less than two months. And they were great, you know, as they, you know, not everybody likes to have a camera stuffed in their face on the factory floor. And, you know, sewers are, they're working and everyone's got their masks on and they were very respectful. The marketing team came in and talked to some people, kept their distances, did all this mask wearing, all the same intake we did and still captured the essence of what we were doing and did it in a very respectful way. They've just been awesome. And again, they're putting themselves in harm's way by coming in and doing that and trying to capture the essence. And, and again, that wasn't their job yesterday. Uh, <laughs> It's their job right. today. So everybody's had to, you know, that we always say the needs of yesterday are not the needs of today or tomorrow. And I would say across our research in all departments, we've had that attitude to lean in and protect those that protect us. And that goes for everyone that works in the building. You know, I love that. What you just said is so powerful. And I also think we could even add on that a little bit. Like the 39-year history of outdoor research to date does not define where the company and the brand can take us going forward. And let's talk a little bit about the lens of consumer preferences around U.S. manufacturing coming through the COVID-19 crisis. You obviously have been with the company a long time and have a very interesting career prior to that. In your take, I realize this is a little crystal ball, but like, can you talk a little bit about how you see consumer preferences is evolving around potentially being more inclined to choose U.S. manufacturing, U.S. sourcing and supply as we've gone through COVID-19 as a society? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we just didn't have the manufacturing ability in this country to come through this crisis quickly. We had some of it, but it became obvious we were, we were unprepared in a lot of ways to deal with this crisis. But first and foremost, we couldn't build the simple equipment that could protect our population. And I hope that's changed for the future. I hope people value that. Um, You know, there were offshore solutions to some of these problems, but obviously a lot of those solutions didn't pan out. We've had people come to us and ask for a made in USA solution, people that don't require one, but they trust the made in USA solution. They trust that they'll get what they ordered. They'll get the product that we stated with the validation that through the FDA that was required. And I hope going forward that people look at the manufacturing environment in this country and realize we still have the bones for for some things, maybe not everything, but certainly for things like this that are absolutely a requirement that we retain that 
manufacturing ability, both in raw materials and cut and sew and semi-automated manufacturing, that, that we retain it here in the United States. It's, it's really important, and I think we were less than prepared to do that across the nation. Right. I totally agree. And it is awesome to see you stepping up on the level that you are as a company and a brand. So let's also wrap up by just talking a little bit. You obviously have a role in uh, leading, you know, obviously what you do in manufacturing, as well as tactical and corporate social responsibility for outdoor research. How is PPE going to factor into the product mix and I think just the complexion of the brand going forward? I mean, it, it definitely nests perfectly in terms of you know, preparing a front line, if you will, whether it's military, whether it's adventurous explorers, et cetera. Like I see how that, that fits perfectly, but can we talk a little bit about the investments that you've made in PPE as part of outdoor research going into the future? Well, we're in this business for the long term. The investments we've made to date are significant. So uh, this is not a short-term investment from us. Is it going to be profitable in the future? I hope so. We didn't take the time. We just, we just did it. I think there's a need for sure. Regarding, you know, some of the the changes of the equipment, I, I hope that we can come up with a more sustainable solution. You know, some of the materials that we're using are inherently more sustainable. Uh, we could probably come up with a, a better solution for the one and done sort of, you know, respirators and masks that the medical community uses. They obviously need a one and done solution, but maybe everybody else can have a more sustainable solution that can be washed or recharged and, and doesn't have to be thrown out. So we're, we're looking at all those pivots in the future. And I think there definitely are, our outdoor industry is better poised to look at those than others, perhaps. And so hopefully we can bring, bring something to the, the table on that. You know, one word we, we have right now, and it, it sounds cliche, but it's team. If our experience internally has shown a path, it's the fact that a team with an agile mindset to produce an effective solution will get us through this crisis. And, you know, for this particular challenge, it was all about research, efficacy, agility, and, and speed. We had to be nimble and we had to show courage with, you know, a problem that we haven't encountered previously. And I, I will say it's one of the rare instances where altruism, community, national security, and corporate needs all aligned. I can't remember any instances in my career where they aligned so quickly and so purely. I have this contact uh, through our, our military business. That, uh, his name's Admiral Costello. He's retired now. He once discussed this type of surge capacity with me, and he has this great quote. He said, you can quickly surge people, you can quickly surge equipment, but you can't surge trust. And I thought it was so great. He said, trust is built up over time and experience. And if you don't have that, the rest doesn't matter. So I'd love to think we have that in abundance with both the raw material supply chain, our employees, and our customers. And I think the outdoor industry has that as well. I do as well. That is such an inspiring way to close our interview here today, Jason. Thank you so much for all Outdoor Research is doing and leading with on this front. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the Channel Mastery Podcast today. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Stay healthy. All right. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. 
as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.